The Week in Bible Prophecy, a Prophecy Watchers podcast. Welcome to the podcast today, everybody. I'm here in studio with Dr. David Reagan, and we're going to be discussing uh, what I think is what is on a lot of people's mind, and that is America in Bible prophecy. But in order to do that, we we really want to start at the beginning, uh, which we will in a moment. I want to remind everybody about our upcoming uh, prophecy conference in Norman, Oklahoma, October 5th. You can get some information on that at watchersweekend.com. Uh, check us out. Uh, 24 speakers. It's going to be a great time. It's always wonderful to hang out with people who are like-minded, as, as we know that a lot of the church that we see today uh, doesn't talk about prophecy. I get emails from people constantly saying, well, my church here or there, I've tried to talk to them, I've tried to start a Bible study, and, and nobody uh, nobody's interested. So nevertheless, uh, we're going to still do our best, but uh, Dr. Reagan, welcome. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's good to be here, Mondo. Now, and you wrote a book, which uh, to me, uh, we've done some programs on this, but it's worth bringing back up called America's Suicide. And I want to kind of, you did five chapters there, America's Blessing, America's Rebellion, America's Warning, America's Biblical Type, and America's Destiny. But as always, I, I always like to ask, what led you to write this book? It goes back to uh, 1991 when the Soviet Union fell. I went over there immediately, and when I arrived in Moscow, I could not believe my eyes because I went into the major department stores. They were empty. They had no clothing. They had no food. They had nothing, just nothing. And tens of thousands of Russians were standing in the streets of Moscow on the sidewalks there with um, card tables, and they were bartering. They're bartering food for clothes, clothes for food. This sort of, There's a barter economy overnight. And this was the most powerful nation in the world with over, at that time, over 6,000 nuclear weapons and yet brought down to nothing overnight by God. And as I stood there and looked at that, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, go back and preach to America. He said, America, I've blessed more than any other nation in the world and they are turning against me. And I want you to tell them what, what I can do to a nation overnight. And so I got that message very strongly and I went back and started preaching it people didn't want to hear it yeah they didn't want to hear it negative message <laughs> <laughs> it's like a prophet fact, of old right in fact I'll tell you how, yep. how uh, in 1999 I wrote a book entitled Living for Christ in the End Times and the subtitle of it was Coping with uh, Apostasy and uh, with uh, Violence uh, so I uh, submitted it to the publisher and he said well I can't publish a book with that title that's too negative he said uh, we're not anywhere near apostasy in the church and, and violence in our society no i said it's coming i'm telling you it's coming he said well i, can't, I just can't do that so he refused to print that subtitle so 15 years later in 2015 i jerked the uh, copyright from him we published it ourselves and we put that in there that the, we were going to be coping with apostasy uh, and with anarchy and uh People then, even then, said 2015, oh, come on, it's not that bad. Well, I think everybody <laughs> realizes today we're coping with apostasy if they know what's going on in yep. the church. And if you look on TV every night, we're dealing with anarchy. I mean, absolute yeah. anarchy. And uh, this is what has happened to uh, God uh, does this to nations that he has greatly blessed, and they rebel against him and refuse to repent. And we have rebelled, and we have refused to repent. It's like we're shaking our fist yep. at God, and uh, He's dealing with us. And the way He deals with that always is He sends prophetic voices, 
and then he sends remedial judgments to call us to repentance. And he's done both. Yeah. I mean, you look at the book of Judges, you know, they everybody did, did what was right oh. in their own eyes. It went from the cycles, right? Over and over. Blessing, you know, oppression, deliverance, God comes in. <laughs> and yet then he then they're like, oh, wow, okay, they repented, fine. And then they get blessed and they become complacent, all the whole cycle. Let's talk about your chapter one here, yeah. uh, America's blessing. Uh, how did God bless America and, and to become the greatest nation, wealthiest nation in the history of the world. I think he did this because our founding fathers were men who were steeped in the Bible, steeped in the scriptures, uh, who uh, knew God's word and understood the nature of man. They didn't trust even in themselves because they knew that they were sinners. And, and this is clear in their writings and everything else. They, they, they did not want to create a democracy because they knew that democracies always lead to mobocracy, to the people who will give them the most money or whatever. Yep. They will vote for them. So they created a representative form of government. Most people are not aware of the fact that the kind of government they created was representative in the sense that you, vo you had representatives in, in uh, Washington, D.C., but you only had one that you voted in. Senators were not elected by the people. They were elected by the state legislatures. The only person you voted for in the national government directly was a congressman who served for two years. Yeah. You could kick him in, out at the end of two years. With the president, the vote was indirect. The president was selected by electors who were selected by state legislatures. So you voted for people in the state legislature. They selected the electors. And over the years, we've done away with it's that eroded, process yeah, so that now we elect the electors and we've done away with the process for senators by directly electing them. We have moved more toward a pure democracy. And the result is that you can see in recent elections, parties offering to buy votes. Yep. We'll forgive your student loans if you'll vote for us. Uh, we will, you know, it's just money thrown around all over the place trying to get votes. So our founding fathers were men who knew the word. They, uh, they knew that they had to protect us against sinners. So they not only had a representative form of government, they had a government with a separation of powers where you had the legislative, the judicial, and, and the, the, uh, Executive, yeah. Uh, executive's mm -hmm. a branch, and, and those three were given specific powers, and that were separated. So they tried every way in the world to cross that. And again, we are beginning to violate all that. Uh, presidents are signing executive orders and passing laws that only the Congress should pass. So we have moved into a period where we have deserted our wonderful heritage. We had a Christian heritage in this country that was incredible that went throughout the 19th century and before that, the 18th century, the 17th century, 90% uh, or more, 95% claimed to be Christians. That doesn't mean they were. Right, it's a claim. It's a but they claimed thing. they were. And Christian values, this nation was founded on Judaic Christian values, and those were our values. Listen, I was born in 1938. When I grew up in the 1940s, Nothing was open on Sunday except the, the uh, drugstores, pharmacies, filling stations, and that was it. No, not even food stores were open. Uh, we we honored the Sabbath. We honored, and and nothing was scheduled. That no sporting events were scheduled yeah, on Sunday. No, way. no sporting events were scheduled on Wednesday night because everybody went to church on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Ninety-one percent of Americans at that time were still claiming to be Christians, and. I tell young people about what it was like growing up in America. They, they think I dropped in from another planet. Because not only that, but in school, 
We prayed every day over the loudspeakers. We read Bible verses. We started every day with Bible verses and prayers. We uh, had uh, celebrations of Easter. We had celebrations of Christmas. We prayed in the classrooms. My senior reader, 1956, when I was a senior in high school, our senior reader in English class was Bible stories with a moral at the end. That's how much we've how changed, and that's how we? quick we've changed. How Somebody far? sent me a photograph the other day that emphasized how fast our decline has occurred. It was a photograph of New York City in 1956 on the eve of Easter, and all the major buildings in New York City were lit up with a cross. That would be unthinkable. No, absolutely. It was 1956 when the Congress put in God we trust as our motto. It was 1956 when the Congress decided to put one nation under God in our Pledge of Allegiance. Neither one of those could happen today. In fact, there are people in Congress who want to revoke that. Well, and, and what did we have just recently where uh, one of the congressmen gets up and he's praying in the name of some mother goddess? Oh, and, oh yeah. And you're oh, like, yeah. Here, here we are. I mean, here we are. On D-Day, Franklin Roosevelt sat down before the microphones and he prayed a six-minute prayer for God to be with our soldiers. And it was a Fascinating prayer, thrilling, inspiring prayer. And when they built the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., they were supposed to put that prayer on the wall. And Obama said, no. And they put did not put it up. And there was such a revolt against that that probably it must have been five or six years later, they finally erected a wall with that prayer on it. But that's where we are. Yeah. There are people today who are arguing that we should get rid of our Pledge of Allegiance and replace it with John Lennon's Imagine, which is a song to the glory of atheism. Yep. That's really that's really what it comes down to is you have the blessing of God and which is God, and then you have humanism coming into play. There we go. So let's talk about the, so we, we, there's no doubt the, the heritage, uh, beginning f- coming from the pilgrims in the 1600s all the way through, but then the, your second Mondo, chapter, you say there's no doubt. Well, and there is no doubt, <laughs> I mean, if you except for the fact that the history books that uh, are being yep. used in our educational system today deny the Christian heritage, yeah. just deny it. And yet it's just overwhelming. Well, it, it goes with your second chapter, rebellion. I yes. think part of that revisionism that you just described is part of the rebellion. They're rewriting history. Yes. They're 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 taking away. I I, I wrote a paper in college on the separation of church and state, and uh, began in 1947 with oh, the, the Emerson decision, uh, the Board versus Emerson, where uh, Justice Hugo took that that phrase, separation of church and state, by by Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist, totally yeah. turned it upside down of all the previous meaning and. From from there, I mean, it was 1947, but it took some time from that moment where that phrase is the most quoted phrase, really, of Jefferson that ever has existed, turned completely upside down. That's, I think that was the beginning of the rebellion, which led to removal of prayer of schools, yes, yes. praying, Bible reading. And I think it's interesting to note that that phrase is in the, com- in the Russian Constitution, separation of church and state. It's not in our Constitution. No, it's not. No. <laughs> and, and originally, Jefferson was giving co- uh, comfort to the Baptists, saying, hey, you guys have nothing to worry about. That's right. The federal government will not intrude on you, cannot <laughs> intrude on you, because of this separation. It's a high wall. And now... It's the other way around. Other way around. So let's talk right. more about that rebellion. Um, in what your- happened is the humanists in America began to, the, the, uh, in the Humanist Manifesto, which came out at the beginning of the 20th century, 
they made it their goal to take over American education because mm-hmm. they knew if they could take over American education, they could succeed. And basically what a humanist is is a person who believes in man. He doesn't believe in God. He believes in man. He believes that we man is capable is, is basically good, violation of the Bible. Yep. He believes that man can be perfected. That uh, that's through social justice and through education that man can build a utopia on earth. The measure of all things. And that yeah. all problems can be solved by man. Who needs God? Yep. And that's where we are today. That's where we are today. They have they have taken over our educational system. And incidentally, I think that's one of the good things that came out of the pandemic is that people had their children taught by Zoom and they began <laughs> to see what they were teaching. Yeah. And they were horrified horrified by what they were being taught. So there's a great revolt against that today, but uh, the humanists have made tremendous, uh, uh, just stop, stop and think for a moment. Our children are in usually in Sunday school once a week, and they got them every day of the week. Yeah, every day. That's why Christian education is so important. You know, I'll tell you a story because, you know, I was youth pastor for a long time. And, you know, and as I pastored, I, I, I always taught youth for, for 20 years. And many times, um, you know, a child would, you know, 14, they'd be a rebel or whatever. And uh, the, a parent, many times a parent would come to me and they'd say, I want to I have a meeting with you. I said, sure. And they go, you know, Johnny is is acting up. He's doing this. He's doing that. And and he's he's not spiritually growing. And, and, and we blame you. And I said, hold on a minute. I, I go, let me see if I get this straight. I go, first of all, I get them for one hour a week on Sunday night. And, and maybe if we have a Wednesday night. So that's that's an hour and a half. Uh, an, an hour and a half out of 116 hours a week. You get them the rest of the time. And then secondly, you're sending them to school to get seven hours of indoctrination during the day. So that's 35 hours plus your time. And you want me to do a miracle here to, to totally uh, change every all the, the, the 35 hours of school plus whatever you're teaching them or not. And I have to undo that in an hour every week? I go, come on. Don't you think this is a little bit imbalanced? Well, what's being done to our kids today is just uh, horrible. Uh, going to school and being taught, now are you sure you're a boy? Are you yeah. sure you're a girl? Don't, don't you think you might be a girl? Or 37 more? other genders. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. And uh, these kids are so confused. It's just pathetic. Uh, they don't have, you know, i give you an example of the difference in times. In 1956, when I graduated from Waco High School as a senior, we had 450 in the class. On any given day, we had 200 pickup trucks in the parking lot. Every one of them had a gun rack. Every one of them had three. They had a 22 rifle, a deer rifle, and a shotgun. And nobody thought anything about that because we were all, you know, you going a to church. Framework. We were yeah. taught in mm-hmm. Judeo-Christian values today. Why is there so much school violence? Well, kids don't know any better. Yeah. Kids. This is what they know. Well, it goes back to what John Adams said: is that this constitution, this this set, this situation of governance, is meant for a religious and moral people. Well, if you remove that out, it cannot work. Can't our whole constitutional system is based upon assumption there will be a strong moral and religious base. And there was a uh, a professor at Harvard University who's gone to be with the Lord now who did a little short video time ago, and he talked about that in particular. And he said, "Folks, let me tell you something." The reality is this. There are not enough police in the world to enforce the laws. He said, you've got to have people who want to obey the law. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be something on, on the inside. So so we have humanism that that made its way into the, the yes. higher education or even all education. Yes. Um, 
What about politics? Did we see, or in the courts? Here again, I, I mentioned 1947, this rebellion, America's rebellion. We started seeing a, a judicial legislation yes. where they began to undo uh, some of these things. Yeah, violation of the separation of powers. Yeah, yep. Legislating from the bench. From the bench. And legislating by executive orders. Yeah. Uh, and that, that did happen. In fact, it was the Supreme Court more than anyone else in our government who laid the foundation for the destruction of America yep. in decision after decision after decision. I'll never forget the decision they made concerning the display of the Ten Commandments in Kentucky. On every school classroom wall in Kentucky, there was the Ten Commandments. And somebody objected to that. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. The court ruled that those Ten Commandments could not be on the wall. But what was even worse, I challenge you to find this on the Internet and find the decision. The court said point blank, if that's on the wall of every classroom, the students read it, they might start obeying it. <laughs> I thought that was the purpose. You know, and they said, oh, and that, that's just unacceptable. Yeah. And, and so they ordered it removed. Let me tell you something. When Poland was under communist rule and the communist leaders of Poland said, we want the crucifixes removed from every classroom in this nation, the people went in the streets and said, you'll do it over our dead bodies. And they backed off. Yeah. But did, we didn't see that in ours, did we? No. So, so, so we, have, we have politics now. We have uh, higher education. Uh, what about the culture? Has the culture rebelled against God? Absolutely. This cultural rebellion in this nation is just unbelievable. As, as I've told you before, every day I say to my wife, it can't get any worse. The next day it's worse. It's just worse. I mean, everything you can imagine they're attacking right now. Uh, they, a biology professor at a, a college in San Antonio, Texas, was fired last week. He's been there for 20 years as a distinguished professor of biology, and he was fired because four students got upset over the fact that he wrote on the blackboard that gender is decide, de determined by your gene. You either got an X or you got a Y. That's biological that's, science. Yeah, that's fact. And they went to the administration and said, well, we can't tolerate this, and they fired him. They fired him. Uh, uh, this morning, I was reading about a professor in Pennsylvania who was fired because uh, he was an English professor, had been at the university there for many years. And they told him, he said, when you teach English from now on, you are always to teach the following, that American English is English that was designed by white people, and therefore it represents white majority, you know, racism, white racism yep. and all. And you must let the students know that. And he said, I won't do it. And they fired him. It, the time is coming when Christians are going to have to stand up for what they believe. And are they going to stand or not? Well, and, and even some, like here in this situation, um, standing and the next day you might not have a job. That's right. So, I mean, it's, it's a matter of making the decision and willing to, to stand on principles, which then is to take the consequences of That's being right. unemployed. <laughs> Jesus I mean, said we are to be salt and we are to be light. Yep. And we have to stand for righteousness. If we don't, nobody will. And the problem we've got is that today the number of Christ people who profess to be Christians has dropped from 91% in mid-1950s to 61%. And the people who go to church every week 
it's down to something like 20 yeah, percent and less, dropping yeah. like a rock and the pandemic has made it even well, worse and, and let's so 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 america's rebellion you know we have the politics we have the judicials we have the the culture um, the church we, and that's the thing the church now so even the 20 percent that might go to church yeah they might be going to some liberally denominated church where they're not even they don't believe in the inspiration of scripture or the authority of scripture or the clarity that they've all believe what you want to believe many of them gone woke <laughs> oh yes so, absolutely so we, we i almost want to tell them stop going to church we don't want you going to church to get indoctrinated. now they're becoming indoctrinated not just by higher education but by the church yeah. well 61 percent today who claim to be christians i am convinced that almost maybe the majority of them are cultural christians yeah that's not even yeah uh, not born real. in a christian home raised up they go to church sometimes and but they're not really born again in fact i used to have a colleague named dennis pollock who ministered with me for 10 years and he loved to go out to apartment buildings and knock doors for jesus and street he came them, back right? one time and he said you know what i get i knock doors and i say are you a christian i say yeah i'm a christian but boy I don't go out knocking doors. You must be one of those born-again Christians. <laughs> Is there any other kind? No. <laughs> he said, you really say to me, you must be one of those born-again born again. Christians. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's become a label. He oh. said, they think I, they're insulting me and they're really complimenting uh. me. <laughs> It's so true. So, I mean, uh, the, the church is so anxious to please the world. Yeah, I, it's John twelve forty three. They love the praises of men rather than the praises of God. I mean, that to me, the Jesus is scolding the Pharisees for that. And uh, they didn't learn. I think one of the things that you did in the book, which is helpful, is God doesn't change. And so the way that he has worked that we see in the scripture in the Old Testament, he blesses people rebel it's his nature then to come and to give warnings and, oh, yes. to, and to bring judgment so yes. you bring your chapter three is america's warnings to talk about that yes well uh first of all god has raised up prophetic voices in this nation and uh, i've written a whole book just about that about prophetic voices the first one being peter marshall as late as as early as 1944 he preached a fantastic sermon in new orleans saying this nation is going to have a surge of materialism when World War II ends mm. because they'd you know, been on rations and all. He said, people are going to go money mad. Money's going to become the God of this nation and we need to face up to that and we need to be prepared for it. We need to preach against it. We need a prophetic voice. Well, that prophetic voice appeared on the scene, I believe, in 1974 when Dave Wilkerson wrote his book Vision in which he talked about the vision God had given him for America and it was not good. And uh, he called America to repentance and at that same time, same year, Don Wildman was called by God to speak out against uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the violence and the immorality and the blasphemy in movies and television programs. And in that same time, uh, an another one came along. I can't remember his name right offhand, but God had a whole series of voices that were raised up at that time. And since then, he's raised up many more like David Jeremiah uh, and, and people of that nature who are speaking out of uh, uh, America and calling us to repentance and saying, if we don't repent, God is going to pour out his wrath. So he has done that, and we haven't repented. So then he sent to remedial judgments. That's what he always does. And we've had, I believe the Vietnam War was a remedial judgment in response to the fact that in the 1960s, we had a sexual revolution in this country and free sex and all that yep. sort of thing. And then we had the uh, Katrina, uh, which uh, was, 
I think, a double uh, thing. First of all, it, it didn't come across the o- ocean like most current. It was formed overnight in the uh, Gulf. Gulf of Mexico, mm-hmm. and it was formed on the last day that we had forced Israel, forced them to pull out of the Gaza Strip. And I think that was a, a, a remedial judgment. And God has had other remedial judgments, like the stock market crash of, of 1987, where, where it went down 777 points. It's almost like God signed it. Yep. And, From uh, me, yeah. And, and, and David Wilkerson had predicted this in his uh, vision. He said, we're going to have a major collapse. It's not going to be a depression. It's going to be a recession. And he says it's going to result in a political revolution. And that's exactly what happened. That resulted in the election of, of, of uh, liberals instead of conservatives. And uh, uh, it just goes on and on, uh, the, the, the remedial judgments that God has poured out on this nation. But People have uh, have avoided them, and and see what scares me. What uh, not scares me, but concerns me is this. Romans one says that when a nation that God has blessed starts rebelling against God, He will first of all put a, uh, a sexual revolution upon them. Allow a sexual revolution to happen. Says He steps back, lowers the hedge of protection, and a sexual revolution will break out. Nineteen sixties says if they refuse to repent, He'll step back a second time. Then it says. If they still refuse to repent, he'll step back a third and final time and allow the society to destroy itself by turning it over to depraved minds. And folks, that's where we ought to be. Yeah, when we think about the the, the confusion, uh, the debased mind, the depraved mind, the inability to think, uh, uh, the I, I look out and I go, Really, this is what we're doing in the sense of uh, ruining the lives of children, and we're, we're allowing them to make decisions for themselves at two years old. Oh yeah, and and we go what? But this is this I is like the depravity to do to, in operations on them and give them drugs and so forth when they're four and five years old, as if they know. <laughs> what isn't the job it, of a parent is to guide yes, a ch- child and say no? You're well, you're four boy, what a girl. Yep. <laughs> Yep. I remember, you know, uh, you know, I got three daughters and uh, my middle daughter, very, uh, she, she liked to play with cars and trucks oh, yeah, and everything right. else. And we're just like, so what? Yeah, <laughs> and now yeah. you look at her now, she's got this big old thing of blonde hair. She does. She's not confused, <laughs> but she, 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 so what? But, we, you know, imagine if we, I could have encouraged her. Well, maybe you're a boy. Well, you know, um, one thing I point out to people when they say, I, I really, when I talk to Christians today, even really true Christians, they, they just find it difficult to believe that God will ever judge this nation. Yeah. They, it's like they believe God's sitting on a throne in a, with an American flag draped yep. around his shoulders. And that was the attitude of the people of Judah. Yes, it was. When Jeremiah went to them and said, you either repent or God's going to destroy this nation, they said, the temple, the temple, the temple. What that mean? God will never destroy the temple. Yep, God will never. His kind of glory. This is his it. name. His name's. We're protected. Never, yep. there's, there's, you're a liar. You're, you're blowing hot wind. Yep. And Americans are the same way. They, God will never touch this nation. Yeah, he will. Because I mean, they look at our history, which, which is fine, but they look and they say, "No way, no way, no way." And you're like, "Hey, look, God, God doesn't have this secret agreement <laughs> with America somewhere in in history that." If if a nation rebels, and we have, if he doesn't judge, I, th- I think it was Billy Graham that said something. Oh yes, it, it, right. If, if he doesn't judge America, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, that's and right. so here we are. I that's mean, where we are. And, and so the warnings, the there, there's no doubt. There's always a remnant, right? We believe there's oh, a remnant. Yes, absolutely. The remnant here we are. We believe we're part of the remnant, at least giving warnings of, of of the need for repentance. Others, so we're not alone. But the warnings are still going out. Oh yes. 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 God is very patient. He's long-suffering. Uh, but there comes a point 
where he decides that discipline move from discipline to destruction. Yeah. Well, you know, I think too, going back to the Romans one passage, I think people need to remember that in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness. And so when we look at verses 24, 26, and 28, yes. the abandonment, if you look into a, a nation and you see that, that abandonment, it shows you that God's wrath is already there. It's not coming. There's it different is here. kinds of wrath. And yes. one kind of wrath is abandonment wrath, where God simply says, okay, you want to live like that? Then I'll just step back, lower the hedge of protection, and let you live in a foul nest. Yeah, and it's here. It's here. It's not it's, coming. It's, it's here. You're, and, and you're the, right. It's already here. It's already here. And it's uh, getting worse daily. And, th and that, that's, that, see, that's the amazing thing is, uh, can it get any worse? Yes. And we say, yes, people, it can. Oh, and, there's going to be increasing, increasing persecution in this nation. We're going to be fighting. All we have to do is look at Canada. At what's going on in Canada. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I was uh, one time invited to be a guest on a, a particular television program, a national TV program by a prophecy scholar. And uh, so I was on the program and they're getting ready to shoot it. And now, all of a sudden the director runs, runs out and says, hold on, hold on for a minute. He says, Dr. Reagan, I forgot to tell you something. Do not speak against abortion or homosexuality. And I said, why? He said, because we broadcast in Canada. And he said, if if we say anything against those two, they will give us a warning, and the second time they'll fine us fifty thousand dollars, and the third time we're cut off forever. And that and that's true in Canada today. And I told him, I said, so you are are C then censoring, censoring yourself. I yep. said, tell them to tune into your on the internet to your program. Oh well, we just don't want to do that. And so you know, it's just. The things that are going on in Canada the, during the pandemic when they were walking into churches and in the middle of worship services and arresting the uh, pastors yeah. because yep. they were had the audacity to hold their service. Uh, this kind of stuff is going on in Canada. So so let, let me let me jump in for a minute. I want to ask you a question because this is – so somebody's listening to this. Maybe they're not a Christian, and, <laughs> and they're hearing us talk about sin and what the Bible says. We, we, we don't define sin. God does. No. So uh, – they're going to look at us potentially and go, well, look, these are a bunch of hate mongers. Well, let me, let's turn it around for a minute. Um, are we to, are we promoting hate or violence against anybody or, or is it loving to speak the truth? It's loving to speak the truth. Listen, if you discover that a highway bridge has gone out and you go out in the middle of the highway and you start telling people, stop, stop, stop. Are you being hateful? You're being truthful? But you're, you're making them say, feel bad. You're making them feel well, bad. Well, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that all over the place mm -hmm. today, you can't make people feel bad. Yep. Therefore, you cannot have freedom truth of speech. And truth. Because that yep. makes somebody uncomfortable. Yep. That's terrible. Yeah, the most loving thing that we can do, and again... Is oh, to warn people. Yeah, and, and you know, we're saying this to me... Uh, I mean, I have no people that are, uh, you know, maybe homosexual or whatever, and I, I don't desire evil on them. I don't desire no, violence don't on either. them. I don't desire anything negative. But it is right to warn them that they're going to answer to the Lord one day. Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. our job to speak that truth, to say, we want it to go well for you on that day because but we love you. 
So much of Christianity has been taken over by the seeker-friendly yeah. movement that says remove the crosses that might offend somebody, and and you know be very careful what songs you select because they might mention wrath or repentance or whatever, and we don't want them to do that, and uh, we just don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. That's not the gospel. The gospel is offensive. It says you are a sinner in rebellion against God, and you need to be redeemed. And, and Matthew 11, Jesus spoke hard truth to John the Baptist, and he <laughs> says, blessed are all those who are not offended by me. You know, because the blessing is there that if you take his truth and you submit to it, but just to resist it, and well, I'm offended, and, and he says, well, you know, watch out for that. Uh, so what about my feelings, too? They talk about tolerance all the time. <laughs> But they attack us exactly all the time. Yep. yep. So that that whole uh, kind of leftist liberal idea of being the most tolerant is, is just, <laughs> it's, it's 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 laughable. totally hypocritical. It's a laughable one. So chapter four in your book here, America's Suicide, America's biblical type. W what did you mean by that? Well, I do not think America is directly in Bible prophecy, but I believe we have a prophetic type, and that prophetic type is ancient Judah. Now, no other nation has ever been blessed in the history of the world uh, like we have been blessed except Judah. Judah had great leaders. They had prosperity. Uh, they had peace. They had uh, they had uh, the Shekinah glory of God. Yeah. It, it was amazing. God's that, defense. I mean, Hezekiah, oh, right? The, the Assyrians. I mean, he got defended with Josiah. Overnight. All of them. Overnight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think they are our prophetic uh, type. And so we, all the blessings that God gave them, He gave us. He, He, I think He founded this nation for the purpose of using our great natural resources, our ingenuity, our technological knowledge, and so forth, to spread the gospel all over the world. Missionaries, and we did so. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's amazing. For 200, 300 years, we did that, and God poured out His blessings upon this nation. And then. We began to take response. Uh, Judah began to think, boy, we really earned all this. Yeah. We're really great, you know. And they pride, began to operate yeah. in pride. That led to rebellion, led to God giving them warnings and, and and remedial judgments. And finally, God poured out his destruction upon them, destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, which they never thought could happen. And that's the way we are today. We are, God is so patient, so kind, so full of loving kindness, and He's so patient with us, and He's sending us warnings of all kinds, and we are just going on our way. Yeah. Doing what we want to do, rebelling against God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian novelist, was kicked out of Russia when he won the Nobel Prize. They just kicked him out. And uh, he came to the United States. A lot of people are not aware of that. Lived in Vermont. And Harvard University invited him, I forget what year it was, to, it was in the 1970s, to come to Harvard as their commencement speaker. He arrived as a conquering hero, the man who had stood up against communism. And before his speech was over, they were loudly booing him, and he left as a pariah. He left as a pariah because in that speech he said, I have been in America now nearly 10 years, and I want to tell you, you're on the same road that Russia was on. You know why? Men have forgotten God. And that was one of God's messengers to us. A foreigner came to this country and said, you have forgotten God. And because of that, you're going to experience the same kind of wrath we have experienced if you don't repent. Yep. You're on the same path. I mean, th this is where, you know, again, Malachi 3, 6, God is, I change not, right? His nature, he will judge sin. That's just, the, this is what he does. I, I think about going back to the time of Judah, you know, he sent uh, Ezekiel, he sent Jeremiah, and one of one of the most 
I would say enigmatic passages is, and it's easy to remember, it's Jeremiah eleven fourteen and Jeremiah 14, 11, where Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's, he's getting these, these messages about the, the coming demise of Judah unless they repent. And finally, God just said, okay, it's over, it's done. Uh, and then Jeremiah goes and he's still weeping, he's praying. God's, God says in those two passages, stop praying for Judah. It's done. It's over. I'm not changing my mind. It <laughs> do not pray for them. And you're like, well, wait, wait, what? Yeah. I thought we I thought God always will has the opportunity to relent. No, there, there comes is a point. A, there is a point when the wound becomes incurable, is the way the Bible puts it. When it reaches that point, for example, when Nahum went to uh uh were, were, uh, Nineveh. Nineveh, yeah. Yeah. God said the wound is incurable. Yeah. The first time Jonah went, they repented. The second time they did not, said, and God destroyed them. It's not going to happen. When the wound becomes, but let me tell you a passage even more powerful than that. That's in Ezekiel, where God told Ezekiel, I don't want you praying anymore for this nation. He said, this nation is so bad that if the three most righteous mm -hmm. men who ever lived were praying for it, it would only be in behalf of their families, but not this nation. Yep. Because yep. I've made my, they've crossed the line. I've made my decision. Even if Daniel, Job, <laughs> And who I don't forgot who who the other one was, uh, maybe Samuel or something. If they showed up and interceded, that's it. I think Ezekiel fourteen. I mean, you're like, <laughs> I think it was Job, Noah, and Daniel. Yeah, Job. Yeah, Job. Yeah, there it is. Job, <laughs> Noah, and Daniel. Even if they showed up, yeah. it's over. It's over. There's nothing going to be. Which kind of leads us to to your last chapter here, um, America's destiny. So, you know, people. People are Americans, man. We love America. We have this history. And even if we're Christian or part of the remnant, uh, we love the idea of what America once was. But we also, as you mentioned, think that Jesus is draped in an American flag <laughs> or, or whatever. Uh, you well, know, the point I end with tell us is that I don't think there's much hope for our nation, but there's hope for individual Americans. That God never gives up on people, and he's ready to bring you into his kingdom if you will accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Robert Jeffress likes to put it this way. He said when he took his daughter to buy a ring at a jewelry store, they first put out a black cloth and mm. put the ring on it, and it made it really sparkle. And he says, folks, let me tell you, when we get into the darkest times, that's when Jesus shines the most if we are proclaiming the gospel, and many people will be brought to the Lord in the end times. It's the reason Adrian Rogers said, the world is growing gloriously dark because he knew Bible prophecy, and he knew that prophecy says the world will be like it was in the time of Noah mm -hmm. when Jesus returns, and that's where we are now. Noah's time was characterized by immorality and violence, and brother, we're there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a time when many people will come to the Lord. So there's absolute hope for individuals. So, so, so people say, okay, Dr. Reagan, you know, um, I, we know the Bible says, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 13, people are going to get worse and worse, but um, revival's coming. You know, revival's coming. I mean, uh, people claim to have well, visions of revivals and the whole, you know, the, well, let me, there's going to be one more American great, a time of American greatness. I've heard this over and yep. over. There's been great times in the past when we grew cold in the Lord and mm -hmm. revival came in the war. But we grew cold. We haven't grown cold. We're an absolute outright rebellion against God today. Furthermore, I believe all the signs of the times have converged. I believe there is no doubt whatsoever that we're in the season of the Lord's return, and the Bible 
gives prophecies about the church in the end times. There is not one positive prophecy about the church in the end times. Every prophecy about the church in the end times, it says doctrines of demons. Yep. It talks about departing from the faith, you know, itching ears yep. and preaching what people want to hear and all this sort of thing, departure from the faith, gross apostasy. It doesn't talk about any great revival. Laodicea. I mean, we're in the age of lukewarmness. Yeah. yeah. Thinking that we're rich, but we're not. Yeah. Right. And people don't want to face up to that. It's just. <laughs> yeah. When we look around. So, I mean, so people ask, okay, well, so are, are you saying then that uh, where's America at in prophecy? Isn't it, America's, you know, the, you know, the most powerful nation in the world. Certainly we have to be there at the end. Well, I'll tell you what, I think we're on the verge of the greatest financial collapse in the history of mankind because money is the God of America. And our true God is a jealous God. He is going to touch our money and destroy our God. And uh, I think that America will become a second-rate power in the world. And probably the only rate way we'll be able to survive is to join the European Union under the Antichrist. <laughs> so I just, I just don't really believe that this nation has much hope because of our rebellion against God. And uh, there is a time when God just says, that's it. The wound has become incurable. Yeah. And even as, as you mentioned, the, the, the biblical type of Judah, that we look and we see that Daniel was part of the remnant and he was taken off to Babylon. Yes. He was actually removed. He was yes. saved. Yes. And he, he, even in Jeremiah, he tells them, hey, you guys are in Babylon. You're going to be there 70 years. It's a judgment. I'm not changing my mind. Uh, stay there. Plant. Plant vineyards, plant gardens, stick around for a while, pray for the city, pray for those that, the leaders, because you're going to be there for a while. And so the remnant was still protected by the Lord, yeah. and they were given an opportunity, but the nation, as a, as a national system, gone. gone. And I'm glad you mentioned Daniel, because I think the book of Daniel is going to become extremely important to all Christians, because it shows how to live in a pagan society. Yeah. And our society is pagan. It's going to be increasing pagan, and we need to learn how to live in a pagan yeah. society. And which, and, and it does mean that we, uh, I'm not, and I don't think you're saying we're not saying that we shouldn't pray for revival. Oh. Of course, we should, but pray. it's a matter of expectation. But the main thing we need to do is stand for righteousness. Stand for righteousness, because yep. if we don't, nobody will. And Jesus said, "Stand for righteousness. Be salt and light in this world." And you know, Don Wildman told me one time. He said, David. The most discouraging letters I get are from ministers, from pastors. They write me and they say, Don, you're just beating your head against the wall. Ever since you formed your ministry in 1974, things have gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. The movies have gotten worse. The television has gotten worse. And that's what you're saying. He said, you're losing. You're not winning. And Don said, I write every one of them a letter and say, God didn't call me to win. He called me to stand. We will win when Jesus Christ yeah, that's returns. Right. See that—that's the difference, isn't it? Is that you, you know you mentioned earlier that you come from an you came yeah. from an amillennial perspective, where before long yeah. ago, but their their view oftentimes is well, we're or maybe a postmillennial view. We're going to win the world through the power of the church to give glory to God, and then Jesus will come back when the church does its job. And yeah. you're like, I don't I don't see that in Scripture. No, but we're are we past the point of no return? I think so. I believe that personally, and uh, that's not a popular view. I'm, I'm talking about as a nation. As a nation. As a nation. There's always yeah. hope for the oh, individuals. Oh, yes, yeah. Big, big uh, distinction absolutely. there. And I urge churches not to please the world, but to please God and preach His Word.
Today we have churches that have leopard theology, as this is a concept that uh, uh, Criswell of First Baptist Church preached all the time. Most Christian churches have leopard theology, and what he meant by that is they believe the Bible is inspired in spots, and they know which spots. If and course. spots they don't agree with, that's not inspired. Yep. We've got to take this Bible as inspired from beginning to end as the guide for everything we do in this life. And uh, I'll tell you what, if we do that, we'll be able to stand. Yeah. I, I, I always called it the, the buffet religion where they come up and they're like, well, I'll take a little bit of that. I don't want that. I'll take a little bit of that. They pick and choose. And, you know, and, and we know that, hey, sometimes, you know, you got to eat your broccoli. You got to eat your vegetables. You can't just go to the dessert table and, and, and get what, what you want to hear, right? right? You know, it's right. like, ooh, dessert? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as, as we kind of wrap it up, uh, Jesus said in Luke nineteen thirteen to occupy until he comes. Yes. What does that mean? Well, C.S. Lewis once said that uh, we need to live life uh, as if we were commandos operating behind the enemy lines, preparing the way for the coming of the commander-in-chief. We stand for righteousness. We stand for God's word. We, stand for, we have a world now that's saying good is bad and bad is good. And that's was what was going on in Judah back in those days. And uh, we've got to stand for what is right. The most courageous people in America are the people who are standing for what God says because we have become the targets of the the Censorship, the, yep. The, Censorship, the ostracization, all, the persecution, everything, you, everything. you name it, yep. Yeah. So I call for courage in the church. Yeah, and to stand strong and preach the and gospel. And let me say mm -hmm. that I greatly respect this ministry because this is a ministry that is standing for God, that's standing for His Word, that's not compromising and a ministry that is salt and light. And I compliment you on that and pray you'll continue to speak out. Amen. I mean, we, we, we If you get kicked off of, of uh, internet, you get, you just keep on preaching. Yep. That, that's all we can do. And, and, you know, we're here to, that's why I brought up earlier. We're here to speak the truth and love. I mean, we're, yes. we're, we're not promoting violence as much as somebody might call us hate this or hate, we're hate speech. We're not, we're, we're promoting the truth of God with love, speak the truth and love. Uh, but as we do that, I think we, we, you and I both, we recognize on that day, we're looking for, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Yeah, Are we right. going to remain faithful yes. to God's message? Again, this is, people get mad sometimes. I go, hey, I didn't write the book. You know what? Take it up with God. I'm just a messenger. <laughs> but the goal of a messenger is to be faithful to the message and the one that wrote it. One of the problems we as Christians have is that when I was growing up, tolerance meant you just tolerated somebody that you didn't agree with. That isn't the meaning of tolerance today. Tolerance today, you must endorse them and not simply put up with them. And if you don't endorse them, you're intolerant. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, uh, oh, we can agree to disagree agreeably. Oh, no, that's not, <laughs> people don't see that anymore. Nope. It's like if you don't turn around and just, oh, okay, we'll, 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 sit and we'll be on our merry way. Oh, no, if you don't embrace the, the radical right. thinking, right. then then all of a sudden, as you said, it's been turned upside down that we're, we become the haters and the, and the intolerant ones because of our bigoted religion. Yes, that's right. There's going to be increasing persecution as a result of it. Yeah. So finally, I mean, so here, final words for the audience. You know, they, they've kind of heard uh, there's not a lot of hope for America as a nation because of the decisions. Yes. Um, but what, for individuals, yes, I urge you 
to put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for your sins to make it possible for you to be reconciled to God. Put your faith in him. Receive the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You will be able to stand in this terrible time. You will be a candidate for the rapture of the church. Be taken out before that great period of tribulation begins. And you will be in heaven with the Lord Oh, boy, what a great blessing that is. You'll come back and reign for him with him for a thousand years on this earth and see this earth flooded with peace, righteousness, and justice. And then you'll be taken to a new earth where you will live in your glorified body in a new Jerusalem in the presence of God forever and ever. What more could you ask for? Well, why gain why gain the whole world but lose your soul? I that's mean, right. Jesus, that's it. Jesus, that, that's the summary, that's I think. It. That's exactly when, it. When it all comes down, I think, oh, you know, again, a, a world that is temporary, you only get 80 years, but you can have an eternity living with the Lord in, right. in paradise. And wonderful. Right. Well, America's Suicide, you know, if you're, if you're listening today, uh, Dr. David Reagan, a great book, kind of gives a history of of our greatness, of the blessing that God did, but also the rebellion that that we've done and also the destiny. And as you as you have on America's Suicide, this is what we've said. Sadly, we as a collective nation have chosen to rebel right. against God. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Reagan. Okay. And thank you guys for listening today. Again, I uh, encourage you to check out watchersweekend.com. Join us for our conference in Norman, Oklahoma in October. It's going to be a great time. So we'll see you guys next time or listen to us next time.